Have you ever accidentally been held hostage by accidental ransomware? Chances are, even if you don't know what it is, you probably actually have. Sean Knapp and I sat down to talk about what accidental ransomware is and how you can actually get out of it in this episode of Data Aware, a podcast about all things data engineering. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Data Aware podcast. I am back once again, joined by, I was about to call him my trusty sidekick, but I feel like I'm actually should be his trusty sidekick. So I'll take trusty sidekick. Okay. Well, so he's my trusty sidekick. It's Sean Knapp, everybody. I would say give him a round of applause, but he wouldn't hear you guys if you did. So welcome. I'm just going to assume it's there and I'm really happy to be here again. Standing ovation. There you go. We are today, I'm going to call it our our very special episode of the Data Aware podcast. This is our our like after school special, the more you know special episode. If if those of you are like 80s and 90s, maybe not 90s, 80s babies out there know uh, the more you know. Remember with the star on on NBC? Remember? Sean's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You should remember what you're talking about. Okay, well, that explains a lot about you. So. Yeah, I gotta go outside, play with some sprocks and sticks. And- okay, well, that explains a lot. I'll send you the gift later. But anyway, so <laughs> this is a topic that we talk about all the time internally. And Sean and I can literally riff on this topic for hours. So we may do that here, except we have meetings after this. And it is a topic that if you've heard us talk, You've probably heard us mention it in other podcasts. You've probably seen us talk about it on our blog. If you've gone to our blog, there's no end to where you could have heard us talk about this. And we are so excited. And it is the topic of accidental ransomware. It is it is one that we could literally talk about for hours. So what do you think, Sean? Shall we talk accidental ransomware? Yes, please. There are probably people out there going, what in the world are they talking about? Because I know what we're talking about. You obviously know what we're talking about. I have heard it called a multitude of other things at other companies. I don't know, like accidental ransomware in and of itself is not the term for it. I've heard it called much different things at other places. I think everybody has their own spin on what this is. So I will give you the honors of really explaining to the crowd what accidental ransomware actually is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There's a lot of different people call it by a lot of different things. And, and you know, in short, it's when you and your team with all the best intentions uh, end up being held hostage by your very own software. Uh, and right. I think we, you know, we see the manifestations in a lot of different ways. And I'm sure we're going to go through, a, uh, you know, through, mm-hmm. through very, uh, many of those variations. But it's one of those ones that we oftentimes when we, when we dive in to building something new, you know, we're like, ah, oh, we want to get away from this other thing or escape this, you know, the traps of our previous design or get away from this vendor that was just charging us so much money. And so we're going to go build this thing and design this new system. And oftentimes we're so excited to get away from something that we, we neglect to look at what we're going towards only to oftentimes find we've repeated that same cycle and we're trapped uh, by the, the next thing. 
And I think, you know, the reason why I, I believe it's particularly salient today is, you know, we talk to a ton of companies in the space who right now are trapped by those previous architectures and designs. And so I, we use this term accidental ransomware as a really shorthand way of, you know, quickly connecting with those, those data leads and data managers and uh, who are, are having to deal with the, gosh, it, like, we were moving so fast and now it just feels like we're trying to, to swim through molasses. We're not, we're not getting anywhere. So I guess the question that I always have is, as somebody who is not an engineer, as I think I've made incredibly clear over the last two years, if anybody out there hasn't realized that yet, uh, or if this is their first podcast, like, haven't people learned their lesson? Why is this still happening in my best Valley Girl voice? <laughs> with the, with the inflection at the yeah. end. Why is it still happening? It, it keeps happening because it, I think it is a natural byproduct of the innovation cycle itself. And the, you know, we oftentimes find as technology matures, uh, there's this sort of constant pattern of, you know, oftentimes what we call moving up the stack. Right. We tend to innovate, you know, further and further, whether it's, you know, up stack or just on the, the peripheries. And over time, the pattern happens pretty much everywhere, which is, you know, what was early innovation, we first then find fast followers and slow followers, or if, you know, you're crossing the chasm fans, you go from the, the innovators to the early adopters, the mainstreams, et cetera. And what used to be innovation now becomes mainstream and standardized. And what happens when you do that, when things become mainstream and standardized, it now makes sense and is viable for companies to enter the space and say, hey, as more and more people are doing things, let me build a product that can standardize. Uh, you see the convergence of patterns. Uh, and as a result, you start to see different vendors, whether it's from the cloud vendors or startups or big companies expanding their product portfolios, introducing new products that support a lot of that standardization or even just open source technologies that support that standardization. And that work then becomes basically not differentiated anymore. This is like the one-on-ones of just software development cycles and so on. And, and I think the, the reason why it becomes particularly uh, salient and, and then we should definitely drop into why it's even more salient for the data ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But why we continue to see this happen time and time again is frankly, because I, I think it's inevitable. And there's some challenges as to how we make sure that, you know, as you pursue innovation, you don't trap yourself. Because I do think it is escapable, uh, despite the inevitability of, you know, a lot of these manifestations, you can still find ways to get out. and. You know, the, the way that I think about this is in any new innovative domain, there is no standardization. The tools are really rough. You have to build so much yourself. So you, you get your best and brightest and you know, put them in the war room and you just start cranking and you do a lot of really cool things. But oftentimes we just forget to, as there's that standardization, to jettison the things we have. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we start to get trapped by that maintenance and it actually becomes a, an encumbrance for us. Uh, and we instead just keep building more and more on top uh, 
as opposed to recycling back through and, and jettisoning the things that are no longer differentiated. Uh, and so I think it's, it is certainly, it, I think it afflicts different uh, types of organizations differently. It certainly afflicts the earliest adopters and the innovators as they tend to, out of necessity, have to build a lot themselves. Uh, and, and it's inevitable that they will, will end up with very bespoke systems. I think it, it does afflict some of the mainstream adopters of new domains as well. Oftentimes, as they try to catch up, they're playing the game of do what the innovators and early adopters have done, as opposed to looking to leapfrog and leverage those standardizations and common patterns and, and so on now. And, and so I think there's different behavioral characteristics that still drives the same outcome for folks. We have once again come to the time in the podcast where I go, oh, wait, I've seen this happen in the marketing organization. I would almost argue that I see this happen a lot in marketing organizations in larger orgs with like marketing automation systems, which is where you hear me talk about this a lot, in larger, more established organizations with larger, more established products. When you are trying to not do this, but you have totally overcomplicated the situation and you have completely, completely, completely backed yourself into a corner because you have completely overcomplicated the situation. And now you've got one person in charge of the system who knows that they're the only person who knows how to use the system. And it is their job security to some degree. Not saying that that's always the way that it happens, but I've seen that happen. I've also just seen it be where somebody else looks at it and they go, oh yeah, we have no idea how to use this, but because we have no idea, it's the only way we know how to use this, or this is the only way we know how to use this because it's the only way we know how to use this. We have no idea how to come off of this now. And we're too big and we're doing too many things and it's too complex and too interwoven to try and change it now. And that's where I see big orgs having that problem in my domain. And I can only imagine that same thing probably happens in other ways as well. I totally agree. And I think the, you know, if we zoom out a lot, right. It, it, it do that, that, you know, in at least what let's call them fast moving industries. Uh, that oftentimes then have fast-moving teams. The efficacy and, and success of a team is largely aligned with their, their overall agility and ability to rapidly adapt to and execute upon the, the needs uh, of the, the business and their team. And so oftentimes we find as we get these bigger and bigger systems and we, and we get uh, silos and specialties and so on, the introduction of all these encumbrances into that those teams and those organizations where you know the if we index on the the fundamental goal is the ability to adapt and, and ability to execute and in these fast moving industries we embrace the fact that change is inevitable and we will have to change significantly and iterate and innovate the measure of success can often be boiled down to, and, and, and the secret ends up becoming how many people have to get involved 
to affect an outcome and, and enact some sort some level of change. And what skill sets are required? And, and the ideal, honestly, being is the person who is responsible for driving an outcome mm-hmm. can do so efficiently and independently, such that they are not required to depend upon anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, as that is where you you cut all of the latency and all of the slack out of the system, and they can move very quickly. I think this ends, ends up working both with uh, you know marketing teams. This works with engineering teams. This works with data teams. Is how do you move as as quickly as possible? And I think you know one of the things that, that uh, you know we were talking about uh, actually on the engineering team just yesterday is uh, what defines great software. And you know there's a lot of different uh, arguments around what defines great software: simplicity, scale performance, efficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and these are all the, the very standard ones. And our team had a, had a really fun conversation on, well, we actually think the definition of great software is its ability to change. Yeah. And not self-adapting or self-writing software, though that would also be super cool. Kind of uh, creepy. And we'll leave but... room for the unknown. Yes. Hopefully by the time, hopefully after I retire, because right. you know, ML will start writing my own code and, and so on. But the, that ability to change, if you embrace the fact, which I think in the data industry, we are absolutely just neck deep in, there's overwhelming demand for what we all do in the data industry. There's no shortage of work to be done. You know, in our, our last uh, data automation survey, right, 96% of teams are at or over capacity, uh, and 81% of them reported that demand for what they do is continuing to outpace their ability to grow their team. Mm-hmm. So things are continuing to, to amplify. If we embrace the fact that we have to be able to change and adapt and iterate very quickly, and you use that as your North Star, as, as we actually do in our own software, that drives those behaviors of simplicity and elegance mm-hmm. uh, and maintainability and the ability to even take a brand new person and drop them into the system and that time production to how long it takes for them to be incredibly effective. And so when we think about this, this notion of, of accidental ransomware, it is often the counter and the opposite of this. It is the thing that is preventing your team to adapt and to change and is the thing that is locking you into a design and an architecture that was made you would hope a year or two ago but more often than not it's even longer than that mm-hmm. and the and gosh just think two years ago in our industry how much has changed we have entirely new databases that are our dominant you know we've seen the surge of the underlying data infrastructure providers we've seen the ebbs and the flows and the, the ebbs again of you know streaming to batch to hybridized data flows. The entire world changes so fast. I think that's you know really kind of starts to get to that, that crux of uh, accidental ransomware. Yeah. So in the vein of being nimble and agile and willing to change, at what point can you look at your code base or your architecture or your insert thing here and say, whoa, we are about past the point of no return. Or 
can you look at it and say that, or is it really only something that you can see in the rear view mirror? Like, is there a point at which you can go, I am at a crossroads and I have to choose the right direction. And I think it's, I think your answer is probably a little bit of both there, but I'd, I'd be interested to, to know. Yeah. So I think, I think a few things, the, I would Based on, on my observations and, and working with a lot of companies uh, across industries, I would generally, well, first I would say it is a spectrum uh, and I would generally contend that nearly every company is far too uh, deep on the, the end of the spectrum of accidental ransomware. And I think folks are far much further on that end of the spectrum than they should be as they don't believe or, or haven't yet been exposed to the other end of that spectrum of rapid development, fluid, iterative. And I think the, I think it's starting to change mm -hmm. as I think we're getting more software engineering influence into the data world, in particular, the DevOps, iterative, agile, models into the data world, which is pushing things a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as we engage with, with companies and, and teams, like there's some really basic questions to ask, right? Around, you know, how trapped are you, right? You know, basic questions is like, how long would it take for you to uh, integrate new data systems, right? Right. If your team now all of a sudden is working with uh, new data that's, you know, you have a bunch of data in Salesforce, but you also want to pull in data from HubSpot or, you know, uh, customer data out of Zora, or you want to work with, you know, new big data that you had a lot coming into S3, but now you're, you know, grabbing all your Google ads data out of BigQuery. How hard is it just to integrate a new technology into your system? I think even bigger, then you start to ask the questions of how long would it take for you to move a cloud? You know, if you wanted to move from Azure to AWS, how long would that take you? Mm -hmm. Weeks, months, quarters? Most teams would say quarters, maybe even years. And those are big changes. But, you know, think through the, how long would it take you to introduce some change? And I think that the next question is really two-part. How long would it take a person to accomplish a particular task. How long would it take for, let's say a new engineer out of college, right, fresh grad, maybe had a couple of internships, but comes in pretty blank slate. How long would it take them to build something new in your system, a new data pipeline, okay. uh, a new uh, report? And I think even more importantly, and this is the part two of it, how many people would they depend upon? How many people in a chain are required to accomplish something? Because that's usually where we also start to see this, you know, if we get systems that are not comfortable with change and are not adaptable or are too complex, what happens then is you may have one person who's trying to, to drive an outcome, but they may need help from three, four, or five other people. And especially in our new geo-distributed world, now you're having to pull in folks from different time zones. You have all sorts of meetings. You're introducing right. all of this inefficiency into your organization. As you know, we see this time and time again, where you're looking at, man, this this one you know kid could accomplish this thing in two hours. They really right. should be able to accomplish that fast. 
it feels like we're throwing you know, 50 to 100 hours of collective human time right. uh, into solving what are very pedestrian problems oftentimes. So that's why you know some of those questions to start to ask, and, and I think as we're getting in the industry more and more mature leaders in data, they know when their spidey sense goes off. And, I, and you ask that question, just you know, ballpark it for me. What's the level of effort on this thing? And, and you're expecting to hear hours or days and somebody comes back with weeks or months. And, and I think the that sense is correct and increasingly tuned and refined for the emerging data leaders. Yeah. So if most companies are erring on the side of being too ingrained and too too held hostage by accidental ransomware, we'll call it. What can they do? Like all isn't lost. You can get out of it. You don't have to pay a ransom. You can you can get yourself out of this mess. Like what do you what do you do? You don't you don't have to hold, throw the whole system out if I'm not mistaken. You can you can I mean sometimes maybe you want to, but you don't have to. You can get out of this. Yeah, you can. Um what you should do is undergo a multi-year project to build the next generation that will offer you more flexibility. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, but you would you would be surprised. What the world didn't see was me people, roll my eyes and like put my head down. Yeah, you would be shocked as to how many uh, teams for which that is the actual answer, and it, it is crazy. And, and, and look, like I, I feel for a, a lot of both uh, data teams, their leads, their managers, because look like in such a, a, an exciting, fast growing space, the, the demand is so heavily uh, put upon these teams. And oftentimes, right, especially in the, the uh, innovators and those early adopters, they built, just handcrafted their systems because there was nothing else out there. Yeah. And now they're stuck having to maintain something that literally is no longer special or differentiated. It's just literally what everybody else does, but now everybody else is actually does it better uh, because theirs is more modern. And so you're stuck in this, this a bit of this track, which is, and we see a lot of uh, teams do this, which is, well, shoot, I don't want to lose my team because they're really awesome engineers and they're really frustrated with this old system and they really want to go build something and so oftentimes, right, they, they look right in front, like the thing right in front of them, they're like, all right, well, I'll, I'll let the team rebuild this because I at least don't want to lose my team. And the reality is these projects usually fail because they're like most of these mega projects where you're going to re-architect the entire platform, right? You think it's going to take a quarter and it takes you a year or more and you get all the pressure from the business because it's been too long since you've delivered new incremental value. And then you start to cut the corners and you get stuck in that same spot all over again, which is you end up with an incrementally better platform that had to get rushed and pushed out the door because you just weren't afforded enough time. It happens every time. Uh, and then your, your engineers are right back stuck in the same spot. Your consumers of your platform are still right back in the same spot. Uh, and, and this is the, the sort of classic platform cycle you see. And, and so it's, it's, it's tough, right? Because you're trying to find the balance. One of the, the exercises that, that we like to run here at Ascend is a couple of really simple basic questions. Uh, and, and this will lead into the second part of my answer. Uh, but you asked the team, what would it take for us to 
2x our output and our productivity, but with constraints. You can't hire anybody new and you can't work any additional hours. The second part's very important. Otherwise you're just, you know, a, 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 a very maybe tone deaf manager. Right. <laughs> and so the, the we're a startup, people are already working really hard. So let's assume that, that they're given everything they got already. And so they, the classic answer for every org is basically add more people, uh, which I always feel like is a horrible answer as a, as a default answer, because if you're not at the same time getting rid of other things that are no longer special or differentiated, like you, you are asymptotically approaching 100% of your organization just maintaining old crap. Like as you, like as you add more and more people in, and you just add more and more systems. Eventually, like the vast majority of your team is just going to maintain non-differentiated things. And yet, it, you have your best and brightest that are very expensive mm-hmm. on, on your your balance sheet, literally doing stuff that doesn't differentiate your business. And it, like, this is just like I would contend this is why there's a talent shortage. It's because we just have a lot of people doing not differentiated stuff. Not that we actually don't have enough uh, talent in the industry. And so, you know, when we ask our questions, right, there, there are actually three. It is, what would it take for you to double your productivity? You know, you're not allowed to increase your time investment, but you are allowed to stop doing things and get rid of things. What do we do? And we usually ask that because I think that's the most, most both intellectual and empathetic path of, Hey, let's assume that the things we did two years ago are just no longer differentiated. We may be smart, we're innovators, but gosh, we're not that far ahead of everybody else. So, all right, let's just assume with all humility that there's a lot of things that just aren't special anymore. What can we get rid of? What do we just stop doing? Mm -hmm. And that usually leads to a really powerful exercise for teams to figure out what they can start to jettison. And we do run these exercises. Like we go and look around the market. And we say, what can we buy? Right. And we all know that the, the uh, fully loaded headcount costs uh, of a, a data engineer, a data scientist, a data analyst, et cetera, inside of our orgs. So we know what the cost is. We know we can't hire enough of them and we can't hire them fast enough. And we can't mm-hmm. onboard them fast enough. So how do we get them out of the non-differentiated stuff and focus our efforts on the things that really do matter and differentiate us going forward? Uh, and so we run this exercise on a very regular basis, both for the software we run, but also help our customers go through those same exercises. Yeah, it makes sense. And it sounds like if somebody wants to not get themselves into this situation from the get-go, what they should be doing is, to your point, on that regular basis. And it's probably different for every company. Some companies, it may be monthly. Some companies, it may be every quarter, some companies that may be every six months, but for whatever your particular company is, you find the cadence that we're in shoot for some companies that may be weekly, you find whatever your cadence is and you have that conversation with the right group of people. And I think that's also a thing to note is it has to be the right group of people and find what works. Cause you hit on something that we've also been talking a lot about here internally lately, which is there's a lot of conversation about the cost and the expense of infrastructure and a lot of conversation about the cost and expense of 
scaling infrastructure or buying new platforms or buying this, that, and the other, which is can be expensive. Absolutely. Totally understand that. But like a data engineer is expensive too. And why, why would you have them sitting around doing something that is not value add to the business when that could yeah. be offloaded, which is something, I mean, like you've, I'm stealing from you. You've said that multiple times. And again, it's a conversation we've had a lot internally. I mean, like, shoot, we have that. I mean, we have that conversation about the marketing team too. Like, I mean, we have that conversation about a lot internally. Like what's the ROI of, me doing that versus just outsourcing that to something else. Like that is a conversation every team should be having about stuff. It is not that expensive to bring on X, Y, or Z, as opposed to having me spend 10 hours a week of my time doing something, you know, that is the same conversation that every engineering manager should be having with themselves and their team. So. Oh, totally. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times we talk to, to uh, companies where like literally the math is, is, it is ignored ignoring the orders of magnitude, right? right? We're like, oh, we're spending you know, a million dollars a year on AWS or with you know uh, Snowflake or with Databricks. It's so much money. And, and the following question we always ask is, well, how big's your team? And like, oh, you know, we have about you know twenty engineers, thirty engineers working on these systems, and and, and you know, it's not hard to do the back of the envelope math and realize that you know. We're talking 5x, 10x in cost of, of what they're spending on, on headcount compared to the infrastructure. And, and so it's, you know, oftentimes the, I think we see this a lot, especially with engineers where you know, we're trained for performance and efficiency. You know, like, ah, oh, I, can, I can squeeze a little bit more out of this mm-hmm. system and save that $5,000 a month, and, um, which, which is a right. lot of money. And that's important. And it's fantastic. And you should save that. Um, but what's the cost of it? Not just the cost of your time and, and long term. What's the cost of the opportunity cost? What's the cost of complexity? Right. Uh, what's the the downstream cost uh, of your ability to adapt and change? Right. And so I think the a lot of times, and oftentimes, because they come out of different budgets, a lot of orgs are are allocated headcount as opposed to just pure financial budget. Right. People are thinking more around the how do I reduce my infrastructure costs versus what if I can make the most valuable and, and more importantly, the most expensive assets I have, my data team. What if I could actually two, three, four X their productivity? What is that worth? We can ask the CFO and I, I'm pretty sure the CFO would be able to give you a very succinct and clear answer to that. And, and I think that's where the oftentimes teams end up getting into accidental ransomware is mm-hmm. they're they're micro optimizing and at the cost of that they're just hamstringing and dampening the the output and productivity of their most expensive and highest leverage resources. Yeah. I mean you mentioned the survey that we did last year, which plug, we're doing it again this year. So keep an eye out. And I was working on a, a piece of content yesterday. And so I just have, I have the numbers in front of me because the content is in front of me. So 96% of data teams are at or over capacity. Okay. So in the same survey, only about 20% of organizations still had any issues with data scale. The rest of them said solved issue for me. Don't have a problem with that. To some degree, it makes sense because it has been such a honed problem for this, for, I would say for teams and for engineering teams and developer teams that that has been such an issue for so 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 long that it is just 
it is basically their knee jerk reaction to be worried about that. And it is there to your point, they look at a budget and they're looking at OPEX or they're looking at CAPEX, excuse me. They're not necessarily looking at like the operating expense of their people. They're looking at the capital expense of how much their servers are costing or their AWS bill is or their whatever bill is. But what they're not looking at is the next stat that is down on the list, which is 74% of those same respondents said that their need for data products was growing at a faster pace than their team sizes. So to the point that we've been talking about this whole time, you have to find a way to make those engineers more productive, get rid of the work that doesn't matter, stop worrying about the problem that's already solved. Don't worry about the problem that's already solved. Get rid of the work that doesn't matter. Stop being held back by accidental ransomware and let let engineers be engineers and let them do the work that matters so that they can solve these problems. If 96% of teams are already underwater, 74% of teams said that their need for data products was growing faster than their team size, but we're still worried about the cost of our servers. That doesn't spell good news for the engineering teams. They're going to be even more underwater and you're going to lose them anyway. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the, you know, in this climate of talent shortage that I keep at least reading about a lot on, on TechCrunch and Business Insider and et cetera, I, I do think we need to be investing in not just the, oftentimes teams do this where they're like, ah, oh, just let my team work on the things they're passionate about because that, that will help satiate them but it doesn't really fix the root cause, which mm-hmm. is oftentimes they're overworked and they're they're spending too much of their time on, on what is crappy stuff, right? As, right. as we want to create things that have impact on the world and, and, yeah. and that's actually one of those rewards and fulfillments we get is knowing that it, it matters. Right. And as technology ecosystems evolve, things we used to do are no longer special or differentiated. And if we're trapped, in that space, yeah, it's kind of fun to like tinker around and build random things here and there and et cetera. But in reality, we want to do things that actually have impact and, and matter. And to do right. that, we have to get out of the things we were doing, you know, in the, the quarters and years prior and, and get to the new wave of things. And so I think the when we think about how to properly invest in teams and happiness is actually aligned with that productivity and freeing your teams from being held hostage by previous architectures, previous designs, and and embracing the fact that you need systems and designs that can change rapidly and continue to pull you out of the muck that used to be innovative a year or two ago and keeps getting you into the the new uh, things that really matter. Okay. So if you could, if there's somebody out there that's listening, which I'm sure, I'm sure there's somebody out there listening, but if there's somebody out there that's listening, that is like, oh, this, this is me. They're speaking, they're looking into my soul and they're, they're speaking directly to me. What is the like one piece of advice that you would give to say, you can, you can do this. You can get out of this. Give them Um, a pep talk, Sean. 
it is very, very possible. The one piece of advice, and I think honestly, this goes for you know whether you're a hands-on data engineer, or data analyst, or an engineering director. Incrementalism, in this case, is a good thing. Break the cycle of re-architecture and redesign. They are too long and slow of cycles. It, it's every time we, we encounter teams who are doing a re-architecture, it just it it reeks of like 1990s software development of waterfall style, slow blast. Uh, the the world is changing, and the data world, which has historically been a very waterfally esque style model, uh, a, all, data platforms for the last decade plus have all been these like multi year build exercises, and the I, I think you know if you're proposing this to the rest of your team to do a re-architecture, it is more likely now than ever before to be dead on arrival. And most teams understand that and know that uh, and will patently reject big massive re-architectures. So my one piece of advice is find a way to start fast and alleviate short-term pains. Find something that it may be a new component, it may be a new platform that you want to introduce, but don't run a, you know, what we would call a horizontal strategy of re-platforming from sort of the bottom up. Figure out a way to run things in parallel and incrementally migrate parts of your technology over as they produce pain. And go for the things that create the most pain first and they consume the most amount of your time. Because if something is consuming 20, 30% of your time maintaining or it is consuming 20, 30% of your time because somebody else could probably accomplish it, but they can't use the same tools that you have. If you can find a way of just incrementally introducing something new to offload the biggest time burden for you, you'll start to get more of those hours back. And then you can start to make bigger bets and go after more and more things. And so be ruthless about that time and figure out how do you deliver value, incremental value, in weeks, not months or quarters, uh, and and push yourself to to do that in a much more iterative way. I like it. I can appreciate it. Hopefully, others can as well. I'm sure they can. All right. Well, this is likely not the last time we'll talk about this topic. I will say because again, we do actually like talking about this topic quite a bit. So, thank you, Sean. Right I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Leslie. Well, there you have it, folks. As you can probably tell, this is a topic that we at Ascend care about quite a bit. And engineering productivity is always, always, always at the very, very, very top of our mind. So if you'd like to learn more, you can always visit us at ascend.io or reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn, which you can find those links at ascend.io. Welcome to a new era of data engineering.